Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So one of the questions I get asked more often, I think, than any other with pastors that I have dealt with in the past is this question of, you know, how do we actually get started with international missions? And uh, I think there's some pretty important stuff that we can discuss concerning that one. And so one of the things we want to do today is really tackle that issue head on. What does it look like for us to develop global missions partnerships as a church? And what are the benefits of it? So we want to welcome back into our studio, Dr. Anna Dobb, uh, who's going to talk to us again about stories of the sent ones. Anna, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hey, glad you're here. And so uh, one of the things we just want to remind people of is that you work uh, at Southeastern as part of our global theological initiatives. I do. And this is the arm of Southeastern Seminary that is focused on equipping Christian leaders around the world. Uh, so raising up Southeastern students, but they, they serve in different places around the world. And some of the stories that you bring us uh, each week are historical, Yep. part of Christian biographies, and we learn about famous people. But some are contemporary, stories of the sent ones. And so this week you want to talk to us a little bit about uh, a story of someone who's currently serving overseas. Yes, I do. And I want to, I want to specifically focus on Bible translation okay. today. So it's crazy to me that we're in 2021 and we still have people around the world who don't have access to the Bible in their own language. Mm. Uh, there are many missionaries and various organizations, including the International Mission Board, who do help try to get the Word of God into into various other languages. Today's story of the sent ones is about Bible translation, okay. uh, but I won't be using anybody's real name. Good. They're in a very secure area, and so I need to use a pseudonym. Um, but I found this woman's t- story to be so encouraging that I wanted to make sure it was shared. Sure. Uh, It's a tiny picture of the amazing way that God is using people who commit their lives to making the word of God accessible to others. So I have a journeyman friend. Her name is Jessica. Uh, She was working in the Middle East, and she met a couple who'd been working on the translation of the New Testament into the local language in that area for 25 years. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Uh, So Jessica had two prayers that she prayed often during her term. She desired that her closest national friend, Fatima, would come to faith. Mm. And she also wanted to see the published New Testament in the local language before her term was over. Uh, So Jessica actually helped the testing of the Bible with some of her local friends, including a woman named Malika, who was related to Fatima. While learning the stories, Malika asked if there was more to the story. Mm. And Jessica told her, yes. So then Malika had gone to a bookstore in the area and asked for a copy of this book that she'd been learning from Mm. and was told there is no such book. Uh, and so she left. She didn't talk to, to Jessica at that point about this, but she just went back and kind of learned more of the stories mm-hmm. as she went. So during the last few visits with Fatima and Malika, Jessica had another opportunity to share the gospel with Fatima. And this time, Fatima decided to follow Jesus. Wow. Uh, and Jessica was actually able to take, uh, well, so in the midst of this, they also find out that the New Testament has been finished and published. Sweet. And so she, Jessica is able to take a copy of the New Testament back to Fatima hmm. and give her a copy of the Bible uh, now, or the New Testament. While she's doing this, Malika tells her about her journey to the bookstore, and um, Jessica is able to give Malika a, a copy of the New Testament wow. as well. So I think that this story is so incredible because God answered the prayers of 
a woman who was serving there for two years. Yep. She was just short term there, but had been very faithful in proclaiming the gospel to her friend. Christ actually calls her to himself. And uh, and then they're able to leave the New Testament with them. And we believe the word of God is powerful, right? right? And so she can trust that God is going to continue to grow both uh, to grow Fatima in her faith and hopefully one day mm-hmm. Malika as well. What a great story. And to your point, it's astounding that in our day and time, there are people without a printed copy of the Bible. But thank God that there are still people who are committed to spend 25 years uh, to get the printed copy of the Bible. What a great story. Anna, thanks so much for being here and sharing that story with us. If you're interested in knowing more about a Bible translation, uh, you can contact the International Mission Board or other mission agencies uh, about how you can do that. Anna, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Hey, my name is Keelan Cook. Welcome to The Scent Life. I am one of the new hosts here, uh, and today I am with Dr. Scott Hildreth, and we're going to be talking to you about global missions partnerships and what it looks like for a local church to begin engaging in international missions in that way. Hey, Keelan, welcome to The Scent Life Studios. Welcome to Southeastern. Yeah, glad to be here. Glad you're back. Keelan, as many of you know, if you've been following us uh, used to work here and then uh, went away for several years, and now we've brought him back. And so he's back here with us both at Southeastern, and he's also uh, our co-host on The Scent Life. And so, Keelan, one of the things we're talking about today, like you said, is this matter of getting started in international missions. How does a church get started? And more importantly, thinking about this idea of partnership. How do we partner with people uh, for the sake of missions. What do you have in mind when you are when you talk about partnership with cross-cultural international missions? Yeah, so this is actually one of my favorite topics. Uh, wow. I get asked this question all the time uh, by pastors, guys that are just starting out in the ministry, or churches that are established, and they've been at it for a long time, and maybe they've never really leaned into this idea of international missions. They say, hey, this is something that really matters to us, at least in, in the way that we speak and the things that we believe are our aspirations. But when it comes to the practice of our church, we're, we're really seeing it all from a distance and maybe cheering it all on, but we've not actually engaged in it ourselves. And uh, I think there's some simple steps that you can take along the way for a church, regardless of how big you are, to actually get engaged, to kind of get on the field, so to speak, in this work. And uh, it is. It's one of my favorite topics to talk through how a church can take some simple steps to get there and what some of the benefits of it are. Yeah. So, yeah, so you hear a, a sermon or read a book, you think, hey, our church needs to do this. Uh, maybe you're a pastor, maybe you're on staff at a church, maybe you're a layperson. You think, man, my church needs to be more involved. Um, you know, I'm kind of reminded, uh, you know, when is when is the best time to plant a tree? Uh, you know, the best answer for that is 15 or 20 years ago. But a better answer for that is right now. So you need to get started. Sure, you could have done more in the past, but you haven't. So let's just figure out how do we get started right now. And so what you think is uh, one of the first ways to think about a church getting involved in international missions really begins with the idea of partnership, not thinking, hey, we need to do it by ourselves. Let me be creative. Let me do it on my own. So when you think about partnering for church involvement in missions, what do you have in mind there? Yeah, so the concept of getting involved here in international missions through partnerships, I think is one that people often overlook, right? So there's that general desire, hey, we want to be involved. 
uh, but that's it's it's vague and somewhat abstract until you connect it to that idea of partnership. Mm-hmm. And that's where this really starts to sing. What does it look like for us to have a, a real world connection uh, where we as a church can say, hey, that particular place, that particular field uh, and that particular strategy that's happening there. These are things that we can own and participate in as well. And it creates that avenue, that pathway for us to get involved. And so leaning into some skin in the game, elbow to elbow, real relational partnerships is probably the first best step for for a church being engaged. Yeah, sure. It kind of shrinks the world, right? It does. Hey, go go reach the world. Wow, the world's big, 7 billion people or however many you count on the world. You know, uh, thousands of people groups, thousands of unreached people groups. How do I even get started? So this idea of a partner to work with, a partner to to come alongside, shrinks the world, gives us one opportunity, one focus, or, or just a few opportunities, a few focus, which I think is helpful, again, for the pastor, for the layperson in the church. Uh, but some of our listeners are actually missionaries on the field, and so they'll be thinking, hey, how do we find a partner on this side? Right, We partner with the church. So talk to us just a second about what are some of the practical benefits that you've seen over the years for this idea of developing a partnership for mission, not just going at it alone or uh, recreating the wheel uh, each time, but really developing this partnership. What gives two or three uh, real benefits for that that you've seen? Yeah, benefits are absolutely the right place to start in this conversation as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so the obvious is that it's it's good for the church itself. It's good for the, the leaders of that local church. Uh, when a church is trying to engage in this work, as you said a second ago, the world's a big place. Mm. And uh, when leaders are trying to think, how do we specifically get involved by having some specific connections uh, overseas to a particular team and a particular strategy, it, it narrows the playing field. But it also helps you think through strategy and how to engage. Uh, being able to have a sounding board from the field hmm. is a really important thing for pastoral leadership in the States as they want to identify people in their church that they might send to be missionaries. And so having that kind of dialogue is a real benefit for the leadership of the church. But it's also good for the missionaries on the field, hmm. as, you, as you recommend. Um, so those missionaries on the field, they may be thinking, hey, I'd love to have some of these partnerships, right? For someone who has, you've been a missionary overseas, I've been a missionary overseas, right. uh, the value that comes when you are in a long-term strategy hmm. on the ground, embedded there, to be able to have those reinforcements that come alongside of you and can perhaps do things that you as a field missionary might not be able to do, uh, to be able to provide a particular blast or particular support and a a piece of your strategy. Uh, And so that's specific strategic stuff. In addition to that, there's the the camaraderie, Mm. the fellowship, the accountability, and uh, the emotional support that Mm. comes from being able to have those people uh, that are there on the field with you. So it's really a, a win-win situation to be able to develop some of those specific partnerships. Yeah, that's, I love that. It's, it's this idea of kind of being able to count on the other person as being part of your team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it allows you as well to develop a focus with your mm. missions work as a local church. A lot of local churches, uh, it seems to me at least, as I've as I've worked with them on international mission strategy, have somewhat of a shotgun approach That's a good point. when it comes to their local. So maybe they are engaged overseas, but the way they're doing it is, is almost, hey, we were on this continent last year. Let's go to that continent mm. next year. And how many different places can we say we've been? Mm. Uh, now, I don't want to disparage the motives of a church that's doing that. They're, they're trying to spread wide uh, how and where they'd help. 
The benefit, though, to having a direct partnership on the field is it allows for you to have a lasting impact in a specific place. That's good. You push that ball a little further down the road each time you're there. And if you go back over and over and over again to the same place, it creates a setting where you begin to see real progress from continued trips Mm. there. Uh, When I was overseas as a missionary, and uh, we had teams that would come. I had teams, I had a particular church that would come to where I was, and they had been partnering in that area for well over a decade. Hmm. And when they would come back, I would have people in my village where I was working who knew specific hmm. people from that church. They'd ask me throughout the year, how so-and-so, and wow. if and are they coming back, and when are they coming back, and when are we going to get to see them again? And so they were able to develop real relationships hmm. with particular people on the field and begin pushing a ball forward as far as gospel proclamation is concerned. Yeah, that's great, And what, because what really ends up happening then with this partnership is that the church— is acting almost in a non-residential missionary component. You've got your residential missionary. They serve on the field, learning the language, uh, learning the culture. They help coach uh, the people along as they uh, as they uh, are doing ministry. And then you've got your non-residential missionary partner who happens to be in the States. It could be a small church, a large church, medium-sized church. That doesn't matter. But you've developed this partnership where you're going back and serving in different ways. So I think we can, like to your point, I mean, there's benefit on both sides. There's benefit for the church, shrinks the world, gives you a focus, benefit from the missionary on the field. There's a team partnership. There's a benefit for the people that you're working among. There's the expectation, anticipation, the same people are coming back. So I think that begs the question, how do we do it? Right? It seems like a daunting task to think about a church in the United States having a partner with a missionary or something overseas. So what, are, what would be some ways you would recommend to actually get into this practice of developing partnership? Yeah, developing a partnership. Uh, so if you, once somebody is convinced, hey, this is the thing that we need to do, that's obviously the next immediate question, isn't it? Right. Is how does one start? Where do you, where do you begin? Uh, one of the things that I think is helpful here, uh, at least for those of us who find ourselves in the Southern Baptist Convention, yep. uh, we have clear access to a, a network of missionaries mm. uh, that have been sent cooperatively through the International Mission Board. And so having uh, almost a mediatory role there mm. for us and being able to connect us to some of those people, that's, that's one way to do it. Uh, another way to do it is by looking inside of your own church and wondering, have we ever sent a missionary? Do we already have Good somebody point. that's overseas? Uh, if so, where did they go? Is is that a, a great place for us to to go as well? So there's a number of different ways to find that. Uh, another one may be other churches in your area. Okay. Do they have a missionary? So maybe they're from the same town as you, mm. the same city as you, and you and that church can build a church-to-church partnership, so to speak, as you work to engage with that missionary on the ground. Okay. And what about from the missionary's perspective? So if you have li- missionaries who are listening and they think, hey, how do we find and develop partners on this side of the water? Is there ways that that can happen? Oh, certainly there are. Uh, And there's a number of those. Again, uh, depending on the network you as a missionary are serving with, Mm -hmm. there's a a good chance there's a connection to some churches there. And uh, that organization may be able to play a matchmaker role Mm -hmm. for you there. Uh, But that's not the only way to go about it. It may not even be the best way to go about it. Uh, If you as a missionary are sent from a church, what what about the church that you came out of? Have you been able to develop that relationship with your own church? So that's kind of question one. Uh, Question two, uh, from the town where I am. So let's just reverse the paradigm here. Are there several churches in the area where I may go back on furlough or stateside where I'd be able to develop and foster 
network of churches there may be in my own town that are working together to send teams over to where I am. And uh, that creates another potential lane for you. Right. Maybe a local association has a partnership. Absolutely. State convention has a partnership. So what is the church asking for? I find this missionary, um, find this team, this people group. We're able to make a connection. Um, it's just like a like a blind date or something. I mean, what what uh, what's actually happening here in the request for a partnership? What's the church doing, asking for, and what should we expect? And are there maybe some some guide, guidelines you'd like to give for a healthy formation of this partnership? Yeah, I do think there's some questions that need to be asked along the way. Of course, uh, every missionary uh, team overseas, they're involved in some kind of particular mission strategy, right? Right. And uh, I, I think it's helpful to understand really what you're signing up for uh, when you're in a partnership like this, to be able to sit down with the missionary and understand exactly the, one, the kind of work they're trying to accomplish, what is their end goal in the particular area where they're serving, and uh, long term, three, five, ten years down the road, mm. what are you really aiming for here? And what's the means and the method that you're going to use to try to get there? Mm. And then figure out, so a secondary question to that one, once you've been able to come to clarity on what it is that that missionary and that team is trying to approach, where would we fit into it? Okay. I think is the second question there, right? Is there a way where we're actually supporting it okay. instead of coming alongside somehow and maybe either watering it down or, or distracting them? Because oftentimes short-term teams are a distraction That's from a, a mission point. if that uh, conversation is not had about how they can clearly support the work that is already going on. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. And we don't want to do that, right? We don't want to serve as a distraction totally. over there. So that's good. Um, so as we think about developing this partnership, we've seen there's real benefit. There's some steps for uh, for making it happen uh, and pushing into, uh, pushing into this lane. Uh, but can you talk with us really quickly about some of the other uh, elements of, say, if we're thinking about um, within our own denomination, with the International Mission Board, uh, how might we make that contact there uh, with international missionaries? And is there some help that's available through the International Mission Board? Uh, certainly there is. In fact, you can reach out directly to the International Mission Board and be able to um, connect with. Uh, and there's a couple of ways that they'll do that. Okay. Uh, if I'm not mistaken at this point, they've got people that are dedicated to Good. helping find those connections overseas. Uh, and one of the things that I think is really helpful from the IMB in specific is uh, they've got a vast network of missionaries. And because mm. of that, they, they at any given time have several that are stateside. Uh, they're on a furlough. They're here in the States. And so you can connect with the IMB and say, hey, we'd love to meet whoever you've got stateside that's close to us in our, in our area. And they'll be able to come by and engage in those kind of conversations. Perfect. Yep. So thanks, Keelan. This is a great conversation. We really want to encourage those who are listening, uh, no matter where you are in your journey as a missionary um, practicing church, a church on mission, think about international missions. And rather than a shotgun approach, ask the question, how do I really develop a partnership that can strengthen what we're doing and where we're headed. Uh, so great points, great tips for that. And if you are uh, interested any more in this, don't hesitate to send us an email uh, at the Southeastern Seminary at the Scent Life. We'd be glad to help you with these partnerships. If you want to talk with our International Mission Board, you can find them online as well. And we would encourage you uh, to think about how your church is participating with God in his mission and in the Great Commission. Don't use just your giving as an excuse. Don't use the fact that you pray for missionaries as an excuse. Ask the question, how can we participate in God's mission? Remember, our God is a missionary God, and we're his missionary people, and ours is a sent life. Thanks for tuning in today. 
Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, we offer over 40 degrees, ranging from a Bachelor of Arts to a Doctor of Philosophy. The Master of Divinity is Southeastern's flagship degree for anyone seeking to be thoroughly equipped to serve their local church through a variety of ways. Since 1950, Southeastern has grown its student body to more than 5,000 students who seek to minister in the U.S. and around the world. We believe that theological education is more than just building knowledge. It's about becoming who God has called you to be. No matter how God is calling you to serve, Southeastern will come alongside you and help you to grow in your faith and go to reach the lost. If you're interested in learning more, check out sebts.edu to find out how God might be calling you to go next. Use the code THESENTLIFE, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. Hey, welcome back to our newest segment on The Scent Life, Out of the Tower, where we try to take uh, what we teach in the classroom at Southeastern and move it just into the street, out of the ivory tower, out of our head, onto the street. Welcome back, Dr. George Robinson, uh, who is our uh, resident expert, professor of evangelism uh, here at South Southeastern. And so, George, welcome back. As we think about out of the tower, what kind of tip do we have this week or principle do we have this week for our hearers? Yeah, this week we're going to talk just for a moment about uh, how to approach evangelism like Jason Bourne. <laughs> so okay, here we go. When, when, for those of you who've seen the, the Bourne movies, in that first movie when Jason Bourne is uh, trying to kind of figure out what has happened um, uh, in his life that yep. has put him into this scenario, there's this scene where... He walks into a cafe with this lady, and they're sitting there talking, and he's trying to figure out, how, how, do I, how am I able to do this? How am I able to fight this way? How am I able to do this? And he goes through, and he, he says, I can tell you the, the tag numbers on all the cars in the parking lot. I can tell you which of the guys that are sitting here in this cafe can handle themselves and which ones can't. And so oftentimes we'll share with students that it's important for us to have that hyper-observant hmm. um, uh, approach when it comes to personal evangelism. The reality is divine opportunities are in our path each and every day. That's a great point. Most of the time we don't see them, so we can't seize hmm. them. And so to train our eyes to be hyper-observant. And so what I tell them is, you know, be observant, and then when you see something— uh, that stands out, then ask good questions. Good questions become uh, what I call the on-ramp into a gospel conversation because people want to be heard. Yeah. So if you ask good questions that are not in, uh, interrogative, right, if you're not like antagonizing right. somebody with a question, if you ask a good question, it gives them the opportunity to share their feelings mm. about a subject and then it moves them one step closer to your ability to communicate the gospel with them. And then uh, the person who controls the questions controls the direction of the conversation. Good point. And so Randy Newman wrote this great book, Questioning Evangelism. I would recommend it to everybody. Mm. But just training yourself and uh, being observant, learning how to ask good questions, what you'll find is very quickly you'll be able to move just about any conversation towards the gospel conversation. Good deal. So we're going to unleash a bunch of Jason Bourne evangelists on the street, right? Absolutely. Open eyes, open mouth, asking questions. George, thanks for being here uh, as we step out of the tower and onto the streets, as we find practical handles on what it takes to live the scent life. Thanks for being with us this week. Glad to be here. <laughs> 